I only ever had to focus on making your stories more interesting. Now, you sit there and you talk about the Titanic. You talk about Andrea Bocelli. You talk about Elton John, Elon Musk. That's great. But I've done things just as impactful for $1,500. So you've got to focus on the impact, not the price tag. And the second you start bringing money into it, you're creating a transaction. And no one of any connection or power is going to want anything to do with you when you've just really just called them a prostitute. Hey, I'm Steve Sims. And I want you to steal my strategy. You're listening to Steal My Strategy, the show where we talk to smart people who invite you to copy, review, and remix practical ideas you can apply to life and business. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Well, Steve, I am beyond excited for this episode because I think you might have one of the coolest jobs in the world. (laughs) You are a luxury concierge to celebrities and to royalty and People have called you the Wizard of Oz. I mean, you got to tell us, Steve, how did you get into this amazing work? Wow. Well, I'll try and keep it quick. But basically, I was aggravated and pissed off. I left school very early when I was in London. I left at the age of 15. My career counselor turned around and said, don't bother applying for college. And that was it. That was the end of his conversation. He just went back to reading his newspaper. And so I left school, ended up working on the building site with my dad and just thought this was it. Yeah, my life is that. I'm going to be a builder and a bricklayer for the rest of my life. And it didn't sit well for me. I thought there's got to be something more. You know, there are people driving nice cars. There are people that are not getting rained on every day. There are people with nice watch. I want some of that. And I went out to try and find it. So I, I applied for every job that surrounded myself with affluence. You know, yacht charters, jet charters, luxury car sales, financial advisors, stockbroker. And I got fired on all of them. And I ended up, funny enough, even traveling as far as Hong Kong to get an apprenticeship for BZW, you know, the the banking empire. And I lasted 24 hours. (laughs) Okay, that was it. I didn't even know where the toilet was in this place. And I ended up working as a doorman of a nightclub thinking I've gone from a noble profession, which is a builder and a bricklayer, a masonry to a job description of to slap people. You know, that was it. My, I was a doorman. I'm there to look imposing and scary. But like all entrepreneurs and all self-made business owners, we look at a situation on how it can benefit us. How can I tweak this? How can I learn from this? How can I? And so having that mentality on the door, my other fellow meathead was just like, I just got to get through the night, save as much blood and get paid. That was his goal. My goal was, I wonder if there's people in this room I can strike up conversations with. I wonder if there's someone in this room that could be the stepping stone to my next career that I want. And as the doorman, I knew where all the nightclubs were. I knew where all the parties were. And this was back in the 90s. So we didn't have Google. I became the Google of the nightlife of Hong Kong. So I started going out. If you were ordering bottle service, you are my target market. If you were ordering two pints of beer a night, I was ignoring you. But I would go up to the bottle service boys and I'd be like, hey, hey. And you know, like you go into a restaurant and you get the manager that comes around going, hey, you're having a good I started adopting that role. I was getting told off by the manager going, hey, that's my job. And I'm like, just, just, just helping. 
what I was doing was I was trying to connect with rich people, tell them where the best nightlife was, try and get them into that nightlife so I could then do what me and you are doing now, have a conversation, go, hey, did you enjoy that last night? And they'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, so tell me, Robert, what do you do? How did you get into this line? And I would interview them with, at the beginning, the hope that they would offer me a job because, hey, I was a nice guy. That didn't happen. But then they said, oh, by the way, there's this private party going on. Do you know how to get us into that? Oh, there's a premiere. Cartier's having a launch. Mercedes have released a new car. I want to go to Monaco Grand Prix. I want to go to Kentucky. Before I knew it, my goal was to communicate with as many billionaires in the planet that I could. Before I realized it, I'd actually launched the world's leading experiential concierge firm where I've had people wanting to get married in the Vatican by the Pope, front row tickets to the Milan Fashion Week, actually walk on the runway during a fashion week, not go to the concert, but actually be on stage with the artist and sing with them, go backstage, have them at their barbecue. And as that grew, I didn't really like that side of my life. I just wanted to have the conversation. And then five years ago, I wrote a book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And now I speak, train, and coach all over the planet on help people to do things differently and more impactful within their client base. There is so much to learn from that story. <laughs> so much. And, and actually, that title, The Art of Making Things Happen, to me, it's really poetic when I hear your story because you're clearly a person who has made things happen. And you did that through a tremendous amount of adversity and resistance, which is very impressive. And I think that's what all great entrepreneurs are made of. But I, I want to hear a little bit more about this work that you're doing as a luxury concierge. Mm -hmm. But before I do, I just, I got to ask, you probably just tell me no here, but can you tell me some of the people that you've been able to do this for? Some of the celebrities or artists or billionaires that you've worked with, or is that all top secret? So when I first got asked to do the book, and I'm not diverting from the question, but they asked me to name names. And I said to him, quite simply, if I named names, I'd be dead before cocktail hour. <laughs> so it's um, there are people that I've been seen in relationships with. And these have been Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Sorrell and John. But what did I do for them? I'm not talking about that. But those have been people that I've been publicly linked with. But the funny thing is, probably about 15 percent of my client bank you've heard of. Mm -hmm. The rest of them you've never heard of, but they own things like, you know, countries. You know, they just happen to be the rich people in the planet that own banking empires, pharmaceuticals, you know, networking, communications, cell phone lines. You know, just it's crazy. I, I had a client that was the largest owner of shopping malls in Russia. You imagine the size of Russia, and this guy owned more shopping malls than anybody else, single person, than anybody else. Mm -hmm. You think about the kind of money that that's bringing in a month. So I had people that I would literally take to an event and you'd have someone there flexing their muscles because they have a multi-millionaire. My clients next to me that could buy them 20 times over using that credit card and not even notice the transaction. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, really, that's not what matters because it's the work that you do that matters. And the interesting thing about making things happen, I'd like your perspective on this because from one angle, you could say, well, yeah, sure. When you're dealing with people that have that much money, you can make anything happen. Money opens doors. But when I listened to your story, it wasn't money that opened doors for you. So, 
what is the the lesson of how to accomplish such unique and interesting things, you know, like some of these experiences you've created. I mean, I've read about, you've closed down museums for private parties. You've taken people on submarine trips to see the Titanic. You've helped people become James Bond for a weekend in Monte Carlo. I mean, these things take a tremendous amount of creativity, not just money. So if I'm not a billionaire and I want to have great experiences, I want to create great experiences. You know, what can I learn from you about making things happen, Steve? So the first thing you've got to understand is you're actually wrong, okay? And this is a weird thing to say, but money actually shuts doors. And that's a really silly thing to say, because I know you think, well, if you've got all the money in the world, you can afford anything. You can afford anything. You can afford any materialistic thing. But the second that you need someone to open up a door, money's not going to cut it. I remember stood next to Elton John at a party, and this guy came up to him and went, hey, uh, so Elton John, I, I, I have barbecue parties for really, really powerful people. And I'd like you to actually perform at my barbecue party. This guy's asking Sir Elton John to play at his barbecue party. And Elton just turned around and said, I can't make it. I'm busy and walked off. Now, the guy hadn't said the date. He hadn't said the day, the month, anything. But because he was trying to drag it down to a transaction, that turned off Sir Elton John. If he'd have walked up gone, hey, you know, I run this event. It's a really good event. I would love to make a donation to your charity. How can I help you spread the word about the Elton John AIDS Foundation? And for that donation, could I have you actually play? That's a different thing. You see, me going up to a museum that's never had a private party for six people at the feet of Michelangelo's David in Florence to go, hey, how much would it cost me for you to shut down your museum? They're going to hang up on me. You see, when you get to that level, money no longer matters. You know, if Elton John doesn't make $10 million this week, do you think he's short of his mortgage? No, the guy makes that kind of money just on interest. So for them and for that standard of people, money is no longer the question. Do you know what is the question? The impact it produces, you know? Why are you doing this? What's the impact? What's the point? What's my benefit? If you can get them into the story, into the, hey, I would love to do this. And I've been dreaming about this. And I'd love you to be part of this. And I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if in five years time, we're telling the story about how we did X, Y, Z. Is that the kind of story you want to be part of? Now, you know, there's going to be an invoice. You know, it's like driving a car and then being pissed off because you've got to fill it up with gas. You know you've got to pay, but you first got to lead with the point, the point and the impact. And there's a lot of people out there going, it's easy for you, mate. You're dealing with the richest people in the planet. I wasn't always that way, but I've always been the bald-headed, thug-looking guy with the black T-shirt and motorbikes. I've not changed me because all I had to ever focus on was you. I only ever had to focus on making your stories more interesting. Now, you sit there and you talk about the Titanic. You talk about Andrea Bocelli. You talk about Elton John, Elon Musk. That's great. But I've done things just as impactful for $1,500. So you've got to focus on the impact, not the price tag. And the second you start bringing money into it, you're creating a transaction. And no one of any connection or power is going to want anything to do with you when you've just really just called them a prostitute. What a lesson. What an important business lesson. And, you know, we're dealing with an audience who is generally focused on serving the affluent, 
Mm-hmm. You know this audience. You've spoken for other financial companies before. You've worked Many. with people in our industry. So help me apply this lesson. How does this help me? If I'm a financial planner or advisor and I, I want to connect with more affluent people in meaningful ways, open doors, how can I do what you just described more effectively? All right. So you've got to focus on triggers and impact. Okay. Do you like wine? I do. You do. Do you like country music? I do. Do you like line dancing? No. Okay. Well, I like to watch it. I'm just not a good dancer. <laughs> so just imagine I set a line dancing experience for you to compete in a national line dancing convention with the top line dancing person in the planet. Not interested. But it's, it's the top line dancer in the world. This will be in a national stage where all, all eyeballs will there be the Olympics of line dancing. Are you not interested? I'll just look like more of a fool in front of more people. You see, it's only of impact when it impacts you. The first problem have, uh, people have is they design the event for themselves. Okay? They design the decor. They design the music. They design the food for them. It ain't about you. In order for you to create impact, you've got to know what's going to trigger the other person. You said you like wine. Now, if I had a sommelier there introducing you to different wines from like Ukraine and Cyprus you've never heard of, the wines you've never heard of that yeah, are like $5. You know what it's like when you travel and you have like a cheap-ass bottle of wine and it's the best bottle of wine you've ever had, okay? Just imagine if you that's creating impact, isn't it? Yes, it is. So what I focus on is any event I do, I look at how can it trigger you? How can it wake you up? In two years from now, I'm going, do you remember when I did this? Now, to some people, competing in a national line dancing competition after being professionally trained by the world's top line, that's a dream to them. To you, couldn't care less. So stop thinking about you when you plan an event. Think about your community. I do an event, and I'm not pitching it, but I am pitching the concept. Take the concept. I do a reverse mastermind called a speakeasy. And my speakeasies are 40 entrepreneurs and a bunch of my friends. And we get together and we discuss different trends in marketing, brand, whatever's necessary. But here's the thing that I do that a lot of events don't do that should. Anyone that ever buys a ticket to my event, we contact them and we go, hey, thank you very much for subscribing to our next speakeasy. Why did you do that? What's your biggest bottleneck at the moment? And we find out what's happening for them. We find out what the trouble is for them. If I can find an element of pain that they've got and make sure at my event it's removed, how many times are they going to come back? How powerful is that going to be to them? Just imagine I answer your problem. Now, this has got nothing to do with money. You know, and I literally have people going, I can't believe you only sell this event for $2,000 a ticket. I can't believe you should be charging 10 grand. Again, if I talked about something that wasn't important to you, two grand is too much money. That's right. You know, $500 is too much money. But if I can answer your problems and save you a couple of years, two grand is a steal. So focus on the person. If you're doing an event for your clients, make this a great event for you and if you've got those answers give them that 
So focus on the client. Stop thinking about it for you. Yeah, that's such good advice. And just so you know, we're having an event in May for our clients. I will be stealing that strategy. Do it. And I thank you for it. And I actually want to just shine a light on this. I'd be remiss if I didn't because you know, Steve, we're a marketing company. Yep. And what you said about stop making it about you, make it about your audience. It has to be about what's important to them. That applies so much in marketing too because people will make marketing decisions based on what they personally like, what their personal preferences are, instead of really knowing their audience and marketing to them and their wishes and desires and needs. So I think you just, you nailed it so well there. Really, really appreciate those insights. And that's a common problem and it's a good one that you bring it up. You know, I own Sims.media. It's a media company with my son and we get a lot of people come to us and they go, hey, I want, I want to do more marketing. I want to do more amplification of my company. And I want to do Facebook ads. And I want to do TikTok adverts. And I want to do banner adverts. And I want to do Google ads. And all that. If they don't understand what it is they do and the problem they solve, they end up amplifying confusion. Yeah. The first thing you've got to do is acknowledge who you are, what do you do, and whose problem are you solving? Once you've got that clarity of your brand, then you can market an accurate message. Otherwise, you just become really, really good at marketing crap. Yeah, it's true. We see a lot of that. Now, you know, Steve, what you described about how to hold a really meaningful, impactful event, I see lots of value in that. But let's take it down a little lower because this is a relationship business. Yep. Everything is about people. So how do you take that same mentality, that same level of focus to a place where it's not for a group, but it's for an individual. It's for an individual client. So you build such a level of trust and loyalty and a, and a relationship that sticks. How can you apply these things in a one-to-one -one scenario? The only thing I'm good at is relationships. The only thing I care about is relationships. And the only thing that will stop me going broke is relationships. Okay. Everything else is the icing. I only get on Drea Bocelli because of a relationship. I only get into the Vatican because of a relationship. I'm only in a position to chat with you today because of my book and my credibility based on relationships because people say good things about me and some bad things. But relationships are absolutely everything. And the whole point of a relationship. You party this Saturday night and you happen to be in Los Angeles and I say, hey, Robert, do you want to come to my barbecue party Saturday? And you say, yes. What is the first question you ask me? What can I bring? How simple was that? When people enter into a relationship, it's all about them. I want to get into this relationship with this rich family because I want to do their money. I want to do their accounting. I want to do their financials. I want to do their stock portfolio. I want, I want, I want. Yet if they go to someone's party, the first thing to identify is what can I bring to the party? Every relationship I have, I've entered from a position of gifting. Hey, I know you're working on this. I know you've got a podcast. How can I help you amplify that? I know you're working on a book. I'd like to work on this. I know you're having troubles with portfolio, or I know it's a stress for you. I'd like to offer my services to help remove that stress. You know, work on what you can bring to the party. Now, here's the weird thing. Follow this. Every time you get a phone call, every time someone comes up to you in a party to shake your hand, every time someone comes towards you, you can be guaranteed for sure they want something. 
if someone phones you up at eight o'clock at night and the phone's ringing and you pick the phone up, you could be guaranteed that the person on the other end of the phone, they want something. It could be to sell you something. It could be a mate or your mum just for a chat, but they've instigated it. So there's a reason for them to do it. You're now a recipient to that action. Okay? Not trying to complicate it. I'm trying to simplify it. So when you reach out to your clients, the first thing you should do, Google it a bit. Find out what they're working on, what their interests are. And when you contact them, you go, hey, how are you doing? Excuse me a second, but I noticed you were working on X, Y, Z. I saw something in the newspaper about you were working on this new charity. I saw something about you were involved in this new project. I happen to know someone that may be able to amplify the brand of that. I know someone that's gone on marketing that maybe I do it. I know Robert that maybe I had to get you on his podcast to discuss it. Would that be of interest? You're bringing something to the party. When you show you care about the other person, and this is where it's vital, when you share that all the focus is on them and the impact and uh, access that you can provide for them, nothing about you matters anymore. Not your website. Not you. Now, look at me. I'm a big, ugly fellow. If you saw me at 11 o'clock at night walking down an alleyway and I'm walking towards you, you may be a little bit concerned and quite rightly so. But you see, it's never mattered what I look like. It's never mattered the fact that I've turned up to the most powerful people in the planet in a leather jacket with a crash helmet in my hand. It's because I've always turned up focusing on you. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Now, what are we going to do to excite you this winter? How are we going to make this the memorable summer that you talk about for the next 10 years? How can we give you a better cocktail story? How can it be about you, 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 you? And if I can divert your attention onto you and the problem, you ignore my inadequacies of being funny looking, bad website, this weird accent I have, all of that kind of stuff. So focus on the relationship by bringing something to the party. You know, Steve, I this is nothing to do with the typical conversation on our podcast, but I wonder... When you take that mindset in life, when your focus is always on what you can do to enrich somebody else, what does that do for you personally, your own happiness, your own sense of satisfaction and fulfillment? Well, you sleep better. I remember one of the jobs that I really wanted was to be a financial advisor. But full transparency, I'm crap with money. So I wasn't very good at that. I have advisors that look after me and stop me spending it all on motorbikes, or they try their best. But the bottom line of it is, that I always found that when you were doing something for somebody else, you now became liable to them. You now became, you had to answer to them. Mm -hmm. But when you're focusing on that problem and you are an asset, you now become that. And when you're an asset, you get to sleep at night so easily. If you focus on them all the time, rather than you, you become something that they want to talk about. They want to share. They want to introduce. You see, I don't pay any dollars on marketing. You know, my whole branding, my whole persona, my whole looking after you, this, this is my marketing. And if I can look after people, they talk about me in a party. They talk about my book. They talk about me online. The good thing I have an Instagram, Steve D. Sims. I'm Steve D. Sims everywhere, by the way. But all I ever promote is other people talking about me and what I get up to. Can you get any better marketing than that? No, no, you can't. And really the point you're making, whether you realize it or not, to our audience is when you spend all your time focusing on other people and doing things for them and bringing something to the party, you will get back far more than what you give. Way more. It's going to keep coming back to you in spades. 
Yes, well said. You are totally right. And also, it's a much more relaxed style of life. For sure. When you're not focusing on what you look like, then you save all of that energy for other projects, even your family. There are far too many people out there, and I've seen it, especially in the circles that I'm in. You'll get financial advisors, and I'm picking on that industry, that will show up at events to try and impress the host that they should be looking after their finances. And they are awkward and they are overdressed at the party and they don't show up adequately as them. But then you'll get other people show up saying, hey, when you want to make the right decision, when you want to do this, I'm here to talk. And they're a lot more relaxed because they're focusing on them. That's the people they want to do business with. Yeah, it's amazing how the opposite happens from what you intend. It's, yeah, it's such a- absolutely is. We joke because you get you get the girls that turn up at these parties trying to find the rich boyfriends or husbands, and then you get the advisors and the the brokers that turn up at these events that don't have any money, and they end up talking a good line of crap to the girls that don't have any money. And they end up going off on their own because they've attracted <laughs> each other. It's so funny to see that. Uh, Steve, that's great. Okay, so I want to take it down. We don't have much more time, but there's one more thing I'd like to get out if possible because you teased it earlier. You said, I've done more amazing things with $1,500. Well, here's one of the things about our industry. You can't handle some of the extravagant things that might be possible in other industries because of compliance constraints. Yep. You can't give expensive gifts. Yep. You can't be too lavish. So give me some ideas. Like if I'm on a smaller budget for compliance reasons, but I want to make big impacts on people, how can I do it? So you may have a really cool restaurant in the area. You contact the restaurant and go, hey, three o'clock in the afternoon, is there any chance that you could teach us how to make pastry? And then you invite your clients over so they get a pastry making uh, a lesson in the afternoon. So you are introducing high-powered clients to a new restaurant, okay? Very few restaurants would decline that at the moment because they want the attention, they want the patron. Also, you can look at vineyards. You know, you may have a company near you that produces a wine and therefore you take over a barn and you have a sommelier come in to talk about it and you have wine and cheese. You may have a a local dealership, a car dealership. One of the things that I did was a, a jeweler's and I did this for Tiffany Piaget and King Baby. I actually threw a cocktail party in that store after hours and had them talk about what goes into that jewelry. Everyone loves it. You see, here's the thing that people want today. People don't want to watch. People don't want jewelry. People don't want a car. They want the nostalgia. People buy Aston Martin because of the story. James Bond, the history. It's British. They buy Ferrari because it's exotic. It's red. It's Formula One. Everyone wants a trigger and emotion and a story behind. We had this guy at Piaget literally undo a watch and lay it out on a table showing all the different things that went into the watch. Now, truth be told, he couldn't put it back together again, but he dismantled this watch and you got to see what went into a watch. Now you had some idea of what it took to make that watch. Now you had the story. Now you had the knowledge. Those things don't cost a lot of money because the one thing today people want our clients. So if you can get hold of 10, 12, 15, 20 clients, contact your local jewelry store, contact your local restaurant, contact your local vineyard, bars, whatever, and organize something at that event where you'll pay a little bit, 
but give them a story. And here's the thing. When they go home and they go, do you know, I was in an Aston Martin dealership and there was a guy there and he was explaining about the heritage and history and what goes into making a, an engine. And, do you know, it was Robert's. It was Robert's event. You know, Robert does these events where we go to different vineyards or different hotels and we spend the night in the penthouse and we have a wine party in the penthouse just to see what the penthouse is like. All of these people need eyeballs today. If you can bring the right clients into those events, then all of a sudden those locations, nine times out of 10, will start charging you a very little. Now, again, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I took over a Louis Vuitton on Beverly Hills and took over the rooftop. Three stories, one of the largest Louis Vuitton stores in the planet. I can't even tell you what pittance I paid for that because I brought in 50 very affluent clients to wine and dine and shop in Louis Vuitton privately while they were being educated on what went into a Louis Vuitton bag and the history and the whole stuff behind it, the nostalgia. So focus on giving people a story. Don't buy them gifts. Give them access to a story. And that's what will keep them coming back to you. You know what you've done in this podcast, Steve? Oh, I'm scared to think. <laughs> you brought something to the party. Oh, boom. The stuff that you've shared, these ideas, these concepts, this is exactly the type of thinking that our audience, the financial advisors we serve, need to have as they get creative about ways to build relationships. And it's been so valuable. I really thank you. I know the audience is going to love this. If they want to learn more about you, if they want to understand these concepts more deeply, I know your book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. It's on Amazon. It's amazing. But where else can they go, Steve? SteveDSims.com. D for dashing, one M in Sims. And if you just want to follow me, Steve D Sims everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm the exact same absolutely everywhere. But I actually have a free Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims, where we talk about different tactics. But any of those things will uh, give you some ideas of what I'm getting up to and how you can steal that strategy. Well, I'm going to be stealing some of it. And actually, because this, <laughs> this show is called Steal My Strategy, although we've, we could have already taken several things from it, I'm going to ask you one final question, Steve. Is there a strategy that you believe is fundamental to success in these areas we've discussed that I have, we have not touched on? One final thing you want to leave the audience with that you think has a lot of power that they should steal from you. Care about the client, not what you look like. Simple as that. Yeah. You know, when you said that earlier, you actually commented, when you are not worried about what you look like, you can show up in these other ways. Yep. And when you are worried about what you look like, you're thinking about yourself, not the other person. Mm -hmm. So of course it undermines everything that you want to accomplish here. So words of wisdom, indeed. Steve D. Sims, you are the man. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. All the best, thank you. Thank you.